Yesterday, though, yesterday afternoon was a little rough. Uh, there was a, a football game of some sort, um, and uh, I had to repent a lot of my words. Um, so today's a fitting topic, not only for you all, but for myself as well. Uh, we're going to be diving into this new sermon series called Words and kind of exploring this in January. And it really explores the power and potential of everything that we say. And uh, man, I'm really looking forward to it. I really think it's an apt series and message from God's Word that really speaks to us um, in 2018. Recently, I heard a touching story that illustrates the power that words have to change a life. There's a little girl by the name of Mary. She had grown up knowing that she was different from everybody else. She was born with a cleft palate, and the jokes that she had to bear and the insults that were given at school uh, was extremely difficult and took a toll on her. Uh, they joked about her misshaped lip, her crooked nose, her garbled speech, but with all the teasing, um, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was convinced that no one outside of her family could love her until she met Miss Leonard. Uh, Miss Leonard had a warm smile, this kind face, shiny brown hair, and everybody liked her. Uh, she was one of the more sought-after teachers in the school. In the 1950s, it was common for teachers to give their children um, hearing tests. Uh, and so, uh, however, in Mary's case, in addition to her cleft palate, she had intense hearing um, issues, and she was almost deaf in one ear. Determined not to let other children uh, point out this difference in her as well, she would cheat on the test every year. Uh, the whisper test was given by the, having the child walk to the classroom door, turn sideways, close one ear with one finger, and then repeat something that the teacher would whisper in their ear. And every year, Mary would turn her bad ear towards the teacher and pretended to cover her good ear. Um, she knew that teachers would often say things like, the sky is blue, what color are your shoes, but not on that day. Surely God gave Miss Leonard a word, perfect for Mary. When the whisper test came, Mary heard the words, I wish you were my little girl. Words matter. It changed Mary's life. Every single one of us, someone said something to us that we remember, that we hold on to, and it's affected us, right? You can think of that insult, that comment, whatever it was, however small it appeared at the time, it made a difference in your life to the negative, to its detriment. And also, every one of us has been given a word from someone. Someone spoke a word of encouragement or said three beautiful words, and it made all the difference. There, are, there is great power and great potential in everything we say. Uh, Throughout the sermon series, we'll look to Jesus to help us with our words and reflect so that our words could reflect his heart for our world. And so let's turn to the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter 5. This is an often um, kind of passed over passage uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to dive into it. In this short teaching in Matthew 5, Jesus addresses lying, swearing, oaths, character, and with a quick, quick glance of, on this passage, it's easy to miss its core message. But turn with me to Matthew 5, 33 through 37, and I'll read it out loud. It says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is foot, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, 
for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I wish that was true. Um, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I mean, isn't Jesus going a little bit far here? Comes from the evil one? See, he's addressing a problem in first century Judaism. Swearing by oaths was, it's similar to how contracts are done nowadays. Uh, and oaths are actually encouraged in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10.20 says this, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold him fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. They were meant to, to increase the cause of truth in the ancient world. In a world full of lies, oaths were meant to increase the cause of truth. But by the time of Jesus, things got all messed up and people were using oaths to deceive others. In first century Israel, the Pharisees de developed these elaborate rules governing when a man was bound by his word and when he was not bound by his word. Well, if I swear by Jerusalem, I'm bound. If I swear towards Jerusalem, I'm not bound. Any promise I make using God's name binds me, but if I avoid using God's name when I make a promise, I don't have to keep my word, or so they thought. So they began to swear by anything that might sound like it means something. In fact, there's a whole Jewish law book that deals with uh, if you're bound, if, you're, uh, if you swear by Jerusalem or for Jerusalem or towards Jerusalem and what you're not bound by. Tit for tat. Well, I only swore by the altar, not by the gift on the altar. So it wasn't binding. It didn't count. You might be thinking, what kind of primitive barbaric thinking is this? And how does it apply to my life in 2018? We would never do something so ridiculous, right? But we do. Let me show you. Have you ever heard, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, okay? Or if I'm lying, I'm dying. May lightning strike me down if I'm not telling the truth, as God is my witness. Here's another example. I swear to you that I'm telling the truth. Okay, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. I, with my hand on a Bible, I swear I'm telling the truth. Okay, you don't believe me yet? I, I put my hand on a stack of Bibles <laughs> that I'm telling the truth. Still no? I got my hand on a stack of Bibles with one foot on my grandmother's grave. I am telling the truth. Still don't believe me. I swear to God on a bookshelf of Bibles, one foot on my grandmother's grave, the other on the American flag under the Statue of Liberty with a bald eagle chirped on my shoulder that I am telling the truth. And I double dog dare you to question me. You found out I was lying? Well, I had my fingers crossed. Uh, sorry. We do this all the time. This is what is happening in Matthew 5. And, and Jesus calls it absurd. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What Jesus is saying is there are proper ways to use words and relationships. I've been guilty of saying, I swear to God. And why do I feel like I need to bring God into this? Sometimes the reason we add words is because we are aptly aware of our own lack of credibility or our own shortcomings. So we bring in other things to bolster our own believability. But if I lived a life of character and said something, you would believe it's true. My life should testify to the truth of what I'm saying. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said this. 
in the first century, the Essenes say, the one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. If you've got to drag God into it, there's already something you're lacking there. So the oath system became a system of rules that said when it was okay and not okay to lie. So instead of strengthening the cause of truth, like it was meant to do in the ancient world, by this time now uh, weakened it. Now there are a lot of practical ramifications for us today. Here's number one. Number one, words are not fulfilling gaps in character. This swearing of oath stuff is, seems to be a pretty big deal to Jesus because it's not the only time he speaks of it. Actually, in Matthew 23, we won't turn there. It, he dives even deeper to how perverse things have gotten. In Matthew 23, Jesus is saying that there's no such thing as a non-solemn vow. Everything we say is solemn. So nothing but the truth should ever come out of our mouths. Do you see what this means? Everything we say is just as solemn if we said, may God strike me down if this is not true. Everything you say is just as solemn and powerful as if you said, I swear to God. The fact that we swore an oath should not be what makes us truthful. The fact that we're Christians should. <laughs> the fact that we're sons and daughters of God should matter. The world is looking for authenticity wherever it can find it. And as Christians, we hear all the time that we need to be people of the word. But part of that is being people of our word keeping our word. We can do terrible things to the witness of Jesus by how we live and the words we say. Here's the story of Dave and Tom. Dave and Tom live in the same town. Dave attends church every Sunday. Tom hasn't been to church in 30 years. Dave reads the Bible every day. Tom doesn't own a Bible. Dave usually listens to local Christian radio station. Tom doesn't know a single hymn. Dave picked up some material at the local hardware store and told the owner that he would pay for it within a month. Tom owns the local hardware store. Three months have passed and the bill has not been paid. Dave invited Tom to church last Sunday. Tom stayed home and watched TV. We're not fooling people when our actions don't line up with our words and we're certainly not fooling God. Part of what Jesus is saying in this passage is that we don't need to swear as God is my witness, God's always witness to what we say. He's always there whether we say as God is my witness or not. I agree with King David when he says, where can I go from your presence, O Lord? I go to the heights and you are there. I go to the depths, you are there. That's what that song was about too, right? God would go to the depths for us. There needs to be consistency with what's going on internally and what is going on externally, a connection between what you say and what you do. Some of us, instead of making our yes, no, yes and our no, no, we're simply non-committal altogether. So we say things like maybe or tomorrow I will. When things settle down right now, it's a little bit crazy. You ever have a friend who's like always non-committal? They use phrases like probably, maybe, or kind of for sure. Friends who always wait for something better. Yeah, bro, we'll see. And what he really means is, I'll be there unless something better comes along. Then I won't be there at all. We all know people like that. Even if you're a Christian, you're gonna wanna listen to this because you don't wanna be that guy, right? No one has ever said, man, I wanna be known as a flake. Uh, what happens is you stop being invited into the lives of others. No one wants to be that guy. I don't know one person who says, man, I want to be someone who can't be counted on. 
That's, that's not us. Let's let our yes be yes and our no be no. Number two, words are not for managing or manipulating other people. Deceiving and manipulating. This is exactly what the religious people were doing in the ancient world by swearing oaths. I swore by Jerusalem, not on Jerusalem. So my word, I'm not bound by it. Lies are everywhere. Lies are the oil that runs much of what we experience every day. It's not just the world, it's us as well. Have you ever told just one lie? No, because often you need other lies to support that one lie. Once you lie, you build a whole lie, a nest of lies to protect that lie. Lies are like chips and salsa. You can't have just one. They're delicious. You ever have someone go, now I'm good. No, you go back for more and more and more. And then you ask the waiter, hey, mas por favor. Uh, it's impossible to do just one. They're delicious. And you might be thinking, well, I don't lie. I don't deceive. I don't manipulate. But we do it in small ways. And it can be subtle. Sometimes it's the small stuff that can do the, the most damage. Here's one example. You ever had a friend tell you that they were mad at someone? And you didn't even know the person they were mad at. But they were mad at someone. And they tell you the whole story. And then you see that person. And now a person that you've never met, you have this massive animosity towards. You don't even know the person, but now you hate them. You've got all this animosity and anger towards someone that you've never even met. Then, then you, you might meet this person face to face and you realize that they're not anything like what you thought they were. Why do we do this? Why do we shade things and, and, and say negative things about other people to get people on our side? We do this because we want to control things. We want to control people. Stop trying to manipulate. We want everyone to like what we like. We want everyone to dislike what we dislike. So we'll skew our words and shade them in a way that paints our best point of view. It's deceiving. Side note, try, avoid, try to avoid doing this like when sharing your faith. The gospel's good news. Bad-mouthing and overgeneralizing extremely complex issues doesn't make the gospel more appealing. You being honest and authentic does. Sometimes saying, I don't know, is way better than to try and give stock answers to extremely complex questions. We hype things up, we tear people down, all the while using our words to manipulate people to look, think like us, and Jesus calls us to something better. He calls us to authenticity. How truthful are we? Do we lie, little white lies for social benefit? Do we lie to the IRS? Are we honest in business? Are we honest about our struggles and shortcomings? Can people be around us? Can they, can they trust what we say is reliable? Do we attempt to deceive in any way? And we can make an, any number of excuses, but every one of them shows a lack of our faith. If I'm not honest on my tax return, or if I am honest on my tax return, then I'm not gonna be able to have enough money. Well, I don't have faith that God's enough. If I'm honest with this person, they'll think badly of me. Well, that's not trusting God to bring about reconciliation, that he's not enough. If I'm honest about my struggles, people will reject me. That's not believing in the scandalous love and grace that God showers on us and we're called to shower on others. As Christ followers, we have to be different. Not just because it's good for us as individuals, but because it lights the world. It, it, it lights your homes. It lights your living room. 
It matters to our coworkers. It matters to our world. Number three, living and telling the truth is always inconvenient. This is one thing I've learned again and again that Jesus seems to continue to teach me. It's always inconvenient to follow Jesus. Always. Uh, going to the store the other day, uh, get all the groceries, put them in the cart, get, finally get to my car, unload everything, and I'm just like, finally I get to go home. It's been a long day at work. I stopped by the store on my way home from work, and I'm, I'm gonna get home. I got the groceries in the car, and then there's that cart, that shopping cart. What do I do with it? Do I just kind of pop it up on the curb right there? Or do I shove it in the, you know, the, the, the cattle ranch that they've got for the other carts? Um, or do I walk it all the way back to the store as a way to love the worker who has to get all these carts together when it's cold or when it's hot? It's inconvenient. It's always inconvenient to tell someone you're gonna pray for them because then you have to. How many times have you ever said, yeah, pray for me. Oh, dude, I'll pray for you for sure. And then walk away, gone. We forget about it. How about when you say, I'll pray for you, do that little silent prayer thing. Like, God, I pray that you'd help them. It, that counts, okay? That, that's real. How many of you ever said to someone, how's it going? Or how are you? Someone ever take you up on that? Well, actually, I just lost my job. My kid got disbanded. You're like, whoa, 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 TMI. I was just trying to greet you. I don't need to hear your whole story. Bye. Do we mean what we say? When we say, how are you? Do we care? When we say, I'll pray for you, do we pray? It's always inconvenient to care and it's always inconvenient to pray. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. And uh, every summer, every June, we would take this, uh, go to this Pismo beach trip. And we'd take 200 high school kids and we'd go to the beach for two nights, three days. And we'd have these powerful worship services and it was great. And the week leading up to the trip, I'd go to lunch with my friend Dave. And we go to Chipotle right here in Fig. And we go to Chipotle, we you know, eat our burritos and we get out to the car. And as we're getting into the car, uh, he's at his car, I'm at mine. And I say, hey man, um, I'm taking a group of like 200 students to Pismo Beach this weekend, man. It'd be great if you could pray for us. Get ready to start the car. And he goes, no, I won't do that, John. And I go, huh? And I kind of look at him and he's serious, like serious look on his face. And I go, excuse me? And he goes, I'm not going to do that. I go, why don't you want to pray that God moves on this trip with 200 kids? And I, he said, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm not gonna tell you that I'm gonna pray for you because as soon as you leave, I know for sure I'm gonna forget about it and I'm not gonna pray for you. And I was shocked, but I respected his honesty. <laughs> and then he goes, tell you what, John, and he pulls out his phone and he opens up his calendar and he says, what are the dates of the trip? When are the times you're gonna be doing, you know, some Bible teaching and, and, and you really want God to move? And I was like, dude. And he marks it in his calendar so that he could set a reminder on his alarm to pray for us during those times, that he could actually do it. That moment in that parking lot affects me to this day. Uh, many of you, even after church, you'll come up to me and you'll say, hey, Pastor John, my, my, my uncle's in the hospital. Or, hey, could you? And I, I never want to be rude because you, you pour out your heart to me like this. You're like, hey, so-and-so, they're, they're in the hospital and they're really going through a tough time. And then I pull out my phone and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like I'm checking my fantasy football team. I'm... 
I'm often pulling out my calendar or my notes to write down the name of the person so that I can try and remember. And am I great at it? No. <laughs> but I know this, that conversation in the Fig Garden parking lot in 2004 really stuck with me. There will always be really good excuses and justifications. Giving money is always inconvenient. Forgiving our enemy rather than harboring resentment and bitterness, is, that's inconvenient. Surrendering our lives to God, that's inconvenient. Telling the truth, that's inconvenient. Doing what you say is often very inconvenient. But the Christ life is not about convenience. If convenience determines your integrity, then it's not integrity. A manager speaks harshly to an employee well, that's not wrong. That's just business. When it comes to business, I do things differently. Be a compassionate person. Yeah, but not in the business deal. That's your job. Take them down. I wouldn't lie to my wife, but I'd lie on a sales call. I wouldn't lie to my kids, but I'd lie to the government. If the situation determines if we're honest or not, if we're loving or not, that's not wholeness. That's a fragmented life. And Jesus calls us to wholeness. Or as Jesus puts it in our passage this morning, living that way is from the evil one. He invites us to integrity for our words to match our actions. And many of us might say, well, I try this, but I fail. We're not Jesus here. I mess up sometimes. I agree. I fail at this often. My deeds don't always match up with my words. What do we need to do first? I think, number one, apologize. Okay, we gotta get good at that. Um, we as Christians need to have a whole lot more humility these days and to say, I'm sorry. So you get ca caught late, coming in, uh, coming in late and your boss says, hey, you were late. Don't lie, I'm sorry, boss. I'll, I'll work on that. You say something insensitive to your spouse, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You come across as a spiritual know-it-all, stop and just say, I'm sorry. To say, I'm sorry, doesn't mean you lack integrity. It means you have it. It's okay to fail. Fail with integrity. This too has transforming power. I heard a story this week of a kindergarten class. Picture yourself at this, back in kindergarten. And there was a boy in this class and he was kind of sitting off to the side against the wall, very downcast. And the substitute teacher, substitute teacher for kindergarten, that is a spiritual gift. Uh, and this substitute teacher is in front of the whole class and asks the boy, what, what are you doing? Why are you over by yourself? Why are you sad? And then the boy says, well, my teacher told me I could do this when I, when I was wanted to, when I wanted to. She said, why? He said, well, because my dad died. The teacher said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. When did this happen? And he says, two days ago, my dad was in a car accident. Two days. This five-year-old child loses his father. So he's sad and he's sitting in the back of class. And so the substitute teacher knows that the entire class is hearing this exchange. So she says, okay, class, everybody, let's encourage him. Let's say something encouraging to him. And so a veteran teacher would know that getting 25 five-year-olds to help in the bereavement process is probably not a good idea. Substitute teacher didn't know any better. 
this is not going to go well. One little girl raised her hand and says, I have something to say. My dog died, and that made me sad. Another boy says, well, my cat died. I'm really glad it wasn't my dad. And the teacher's just cringing. Then substitute teachers, that, that abort, that panic button is, she goes, abort, abort. Okay, guys, uh, let's maybe move on. Uh, thank you for the encouragement class. And then the boy says, no, can they keep going? Could we keep encouraging me? I like it. You see, the class didn't do it right. They didn't say the right thing. They said the wrong thing. But he was comforted because they had integrity. They comforted him from their heart, from who they really were, the best they knew how. They related to him. They tried to enter the world that he was at, and he heard that. As wrong as what they said was, he felt the integrity and honesty even through their mistakes. Even when we say the wrong things, there's grace. That is just so like our God, right? Even our shortcomings and missed words can become redemptive. Someone ever said something to you and it hurt you so bad, so painful to where you felt this immense hatred towards that person. And then years later, maybe months later, maybe days later, they come back to you and you're thinking in your mind, I can't believe this person. I'll never forgive them. I'll never view them the same way. They are now my enemy, cursed. She's out. I'm done with that person. And then they go to you somehow broken and say, I'm just so sorry. I know what I did and I'm so sorry. And then you think of them even more highly than you never ever thought you could. Uh, I'll close with this. I, I was 19 years old and um, I had just graduated high school in June and in, in the fall of that year, uh, it, it's a little bit weird, right? When you graduate high school and then uh, you go back to the high school for something, like it's weird. It's also a little bit lame. I didn't know this at the time, but I had like my letterman jacket on and my buddy and I, we went to a high school football game my freshman year of college and I thought I was cool. Uh, I wasn't, I thought I was. And so we went to this playoff game for our high school. I got my letterman jacket on. He's got his letterman jacket on. We're like, yeah, we're not in high school anymore. And uh, we're watching this game. And I, I went with a buddy who... I was friends with, we were in the same circle. Like everyone thought we were all really close, but really it was like, I was close with a couple of them. He was close with a couple of them and we were just in the same group together. But I thought it was cool. And so we went to this high school football game, wearing our Letterman jackets, driving our cars and uh, his car, he had a cooler car than me. And um, we get to the game, we go to the game and we leave it. And I'm like, oh, cool, this, you know, he likes me. We're friends now. We're not just like in the same circle. And so we go through the McDonald's parking lot drive-through. And uh, we get to, the, to order and we pull the whole Wayne's World thing. I don't know if you guys know this. You just go, yeah, I'd like a large with Coke. Got it? And they're like, excuse me, sir. And I go, I would like a large and fries, Coke. You got it? And the guy says, okay, I understand. You know, seem to be breaking up. Um, can you help me? And then he starts to kind of jab back, realize what we're doing. He jabs back. And so then my friend, he starts saying stuff. And then the guy 
kind of loses his cool and starts saying, come on, guys, like get through the line. And then to impress, and he says something about us, and to impress my friend, I go, yeah, 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 whatever. He's talking back to us. I say it back to him and I go, at least I don't work at McDonald's. It really does haunt me to this day. It really haunts me. That person is a child of God. That person is loved by God. Jesus died for that person. And here I am, he's trying to work his hardest for whatever reason. And I belittle him. And I lack so much integrity, all so that I could look cool in someone else's eyes. Haunts me to this day. Our words have unbelievable potential and power in every aspect of our lives, in your marriage, in your relationships, with your kids, at your work, in your church. In this series, we want to really listen to the Spirit's voice that we could light our world with our words. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would, yeah, just may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you in every way. God, forgive us for the things that we have said that harm others. God, I pray that, that this morning and even throughout this series that we would not just say we'll do something, but we'd write it down, we remember it, and we don't forget it. God, I pray that as you spoke words and you spoke creation into life, may we also follow that model and speak life with our words. May we be bringers of life with the words we say to others. May we, may we be so filled with your love, oh God, that it comes out in every aspect of our lives and how we serve one another, how we love one another, and what we say to one another. So God, I, I, I just, I pray that, that our words would match our, our actions and our actions would match our words. Help us to live wholeness, the whole abundant life that you call us to in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close with this last song?
faithful you will be you pledge yourself to me and that's why i sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips